Um, in the, if you have your Bibles, let's turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And what we're going to go here is that in chapter 29, there's one particular verse that we're going to focus on for the rest of this morning. And uh, it's right here in verse 9. It goes like this. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. So, terms of this covenant so that you may prosper. First of all, why are we talking about the covenant, especially in this morning? Well, chapter 29, we realize that if you ever, if you read it or you're right now browsing through it, covenant, the word covenant is repeated quite often in this chapter. So, likely, now that we're in chapter 29, we will be talking about covenant. However, you may go, okay then, but how, how about why do you, what's up with prosperity then? Why are we talking about prosperity? Well, interesting enough, since we're covering, uh, we're, we have this summary statement, chapter 29, verse 9 says, carefully follow the terms of the covenant so that you may prosper. Being a very alert person this morning, you may wonder and ask yourself, okay, what does it mean to prosper then, right? Don't you have that question? Right? Okay, if I carefully follow this covenant and the terms, God says, you may prosper. However, as a good Christian, then we're going and wondering, okay, what does prosper mean then? And lo and behold, the following chapter in chapter 30 explains what prosper is. Prosper is. All right, and why? It's because in chapter 30, prosper is repeated many times over. Prosper, prosperity, prosper. So that's why we're covering two chapters this morning. Chapter 29, we're going to talk about what is covenant, what's the difference, what makes the covenant different from a typical deal of today, and prosper. What does this mean to prosper then? How, do, how does God define prosper? Okay, okay, let's go on and let's begin with verse 1 in 29. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab, in addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. So last week, Pastor Fritz went over the blessings and the curses of the covenant God made with his people at Mount Horeb. And now God, through Moses, did it a second time. All right? Now some of you go, wait a minute, what is Horeb? Mount Horeb. Never, never mentioned it before in the Bible, before it. Actually, Horeb is another name for Sinai. So Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place. So God, through Moses, does it a second time by just reenacting the whole story of his first covenant that he made with the Israelites. So what's the commentary between the two then? The first time that God made the promise to the covenant with the people of Israel, and now this time. What, are, what is the similar trait? It's that God initiated the covenant when he didn't have to. He didn't have to make a, he didn't have to make a deal. God didn't have to make a covenant with us, with his people. Why? Remember what I said about covenant, like a deal? It's a give and take relationship, right? A give and a take. Does God really need anything from us? No. Does he really need moral support? No, he's the Trinity. He gets it from Jesus, right? He gets it from his Father. He gets it, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What? He doesn't need money. He's God. He could create his own money. Right? He has his own currency, apparently, right? Like, well, like, does he, uh, like, does he need uh, food, shelter? No. So... There's not much of a take from him. He doesn't need to do this. And, the, and in giving, well, he could give all he wanted. He could get replenish it, continually replenish it, right? So he's God. He doesn't need to make a covenant with anyone, make a deal with anyone. 
Yet, interesting enough, from the, the first time he mentions covenant, and now, it's only God who took the initiative. It's God who took the initiative, not the people. He took the initiative. So the first uh, um, primary principle that we learn about this covenant, that what makes this covenant different from a deal, is that God, who doesn't need anything from us, takes the initiative to make a deal, to make a covenant. You guys follow? He didn't have to. Many times in our day, the reason why we make a deal is because both parties need something, right? Like, uh, typically we hear about, oh, I don't know, uh, just uh, we hear about like hockey players, free agency, right? Deals, right? Or even unions, right? Arbitration, deals, right? Any deal, or even uh, when we're doing our own business, run a business, we have to make a deal, right? Because both parties need something, need a good, need a service, need some money. But God here, if you think about it, it was the Israelites supposed to make the deal, not God. Because the Israelites were the ones who needed something. They needed land, they needed protection, they needed food. It was they supposed to take the initiative, not God, but God did it. God took the initiative. So from an outsider looking in, seeing this, and going, wait, God doesn't need to make a deal. And why did God initiate it? From an outsider looking in, they would think God's stupid. What are you doing? This is like a total lost leader for you. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, especially when you know that these people will break their promise, right? They'll break the deal often, right? Down the history line. So why is God doing this? So first principle that we learn about this covenant that makes it different from today's deal is God initiates when he didn't have to. He didn't have to make a promise to his people because he didn't need it. He didn't need anything from us. Okay, next thing. Verse nine, he says this. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. So what does God expect in return? Follow the terms, he says. And what were the terms? Quite simply, to summarize it like Jesus did, what did Jesus said, to sum up all the law and the prophets, what do you say? Love the Lord with everything, with all you got. Love the Lord with your, you know, with everything, right? And that's it. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And not only will God sustain you, not only will God protect you, he will help you to what? Prosper in everything you do in accordance to the covenant. Wow. What God wants in return from us is just to remain in the covenant so that he could help you prosper. Weird, eh? He doesn't, he doesn't get much in return, does he? But what he wants is the satisfaction to see us prosper. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us to pay him. He doesn't want us to like, uh, show him like bowing down and sacrifice oranges all the time for him and burning money to him. He doesn't want to like, burn candles to him. He doesn't want you to go to the cemetery to worship him. He just wants you to prosper. And he wants the satisfaction to witness you prosper in his covenant. The satisfaction for you to live a full life. He just wants to witness that. Isn't that interesting? So if you think about it, he's like talking to Jonathan Chan here up in the front. John, I just to, in return, I just want to see you prosper. I just want that feeling of pleasure of knowing that you can live the fullest life that you can be. Really? That's it? Sweet, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, but then I have to live according to, you know, I have to love you. I have to love God. But if that is the case, man, you'd be stupid not to take this deal, right? 
So the second characteristic of this covenant that differs from a typical deal is that God wants us to prosper. This second party does not want anything from you. No compromises from you. There's no, like, we don't compromise anything. We don't give up a lot of things. He wants us to gain a lot more than what we give up. So we win more than we lose. You, you get it? So this second characteristic of this covenant is not a win-win. It's all you win. You win. Right? It's not a win-win. It's not a balance. It's not an equal thing. It's just basically God just wants the pleasure to know that you are prospering. You're going at it, living a full life that he has already made you to be. So, and all he wants us to do is just trust him, that he will enable you to prosper. Just trust him. Love him, trust him, so that he can enable us to prosper in everything we do. All right, let's move on. That's the second principle. Chapter 29, verse 11 to 15. Together with your children, your wives, and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water, you are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath. Interesting, eh? Like, uh, just to make a little pause. Who is making this oath? God, not the people. God is making the promise because he knows that we can't really keep our promises. So God's doing it. To confirm this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. What else is God's deal different from a typical deal? This covenant applies to everyone now, back then, and in the future. This covenant is an invitation. This deal is actually available for everyone. Not like you have to go through an interview process. It's not like you have to be drafted. It's not like it's because there's a selection process or a criteria that you have to meet. It's not because you have to be, you know, blue-eyed and like Will. <laughs> right? Wait, you're brown-eyed. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, whatever. <laughs> right? Like, uh, you don't have to be, you don't have a, a standard. You don't need to hit a certain GPA. Right? You don't need to, like, uh, have a certain height limit. Right? No. What does God say? He says it's available for foreigners, children, and your wives, and for those who are not even here, are not even present. It's available. This covenant is available for everyone. There's no selection process. As long as what he says, that you desire to be in his presence. That's it. As long as you desire to stand in his presence. Do you want to stand in God's presence? And if, God's, like, if you want to stand in God's presence, desire God's presence, desire to feel him, sense him, and just uh, be in his communion, then this covenant is for you. You can sign up, he said. No GPA, no, oh, you have to read your Bible every day, or you have to have a certain amount of verses memorized. No, none of that. As long as you desire his presence, he says, you can sign up. That's a deal of a lifetime, isn't it? So, unlike today's deals, where there's so many criteria, right? When you sign up for a mortgage, right? There's like tons of criteria, right, of that deal. If you sign up for any deal, there's always this like criteria and the meeting of particular, what do you call them now? Mortgage points, I don't know, lending points, borrowing points, you know, something like that. You have to make a certain like a credit limit or credit history. No, God says you don't have those type of criteria here. If you desire me, it's available. 
If you desire me, if you desire to be in his presence, it's available for you to sign up. And then, this, and then what do you get? It's this full life. And all he gets is that he wants just to experience, to see and witness you to flourish and to prosper. Once we sign on, God says, God will keep his promises. He made the oath. Oaths are promises. He makes the oath, but it's interesting. He doesn't require us to make an oath back. You notice? If it, he made the oath, not us. He knew that we cannot keep our promises. And how many of us have broken promises? All of us, right? So like, uh, but God says, no, I know that yeah, we, uh, like you guys like, always break your promises. So what I'm going to do is just, I will make the oath to you and continue to promise that if you come back to me, you get to be in the covenant. If you continue to desire to be in my presence, you can be in the covenant. That's what God says. He will continue to give you protection, provision, provision of fullness, and prosperity in whatever you do. God made an oath, and he will keep it, and he has kept it till this day. And he will keep it in the future for all the generations ahead. Whoever desires to be in his presence, he'll never abandon us. And that's what we signed up for. If we, sign, if we abandon him, he'll never abandon us. And that's the blessing and that's the grace of Jesus. All right. Now, but then if we abandon him, what happens? What happens when we abandon him? Like he goes on, right? And says that if we abandon him and we could go on our own way, well, then we face the wrath. But then this is where it gets a little interesting, right? Because when we say that, though, when people say talk about wrath, especially when I have conversations with non-Christians right there, they think that God is this angry man who just wants to punish everybody, just waiting for us to slip up, right? And then face the wrath, right? Well, let me tell you something. Okay, so just picture this. You're on a, like a, you're on a life support system in the hospital, Right? And you have a full nurses and doctors for you. What happens if you abandon that life support? Even if the doctors and nurses tell you don't abandon it, you abandon it. Well, you wither and die. Right? That, that's pretty much the, the, the explanation there. And so same it goes for here, now, and today. We all are on a life support, non-Christian and Christian alike. We are on life support systems by the grace of God. You think you're having it bad, but you could, get be, you could be in a worse situation than now. Yes, there could be diseases. Yes, there's cancer. Yes, there's depression. Yes, there's suffering, physical suffering. But guess what? We live in a fallen world. God is sustaining you still. It could get worse. You could be in a worse situation than just what you're currently in. But God is right now, by his grace, is sustaining you on a life support system. If we abandon that, if we let that go, then we have the full wrath of the fallen world we face. And I don't think any of us can handle that. And that's when we wither and die. That's what it means by the wrath of God, by the way. It's that when we abandon him, when we do not desire God's presence, and we just say, look, this covenant is not for me. I do not want to choose this. I do not want to choose life. Then God says, fine. Right? It's like telling the doctors and the nurses in the hospital, fine, unplug me. Right? Unplug my life support. And they go, okay. And then we wither and go. And we face the wrath, full wrath, of the fallen world. You think, people think that they have it bad now? Well, it's, it could be even far worse if we, if we abandon God. All right, let's move on. I hope you we're all following this because to me, I feel like I'm going quickly, but everything okay? All right, chapter 29, let's move on to the near the end. 16 to 29. Oh, 19 actually to 29. 
When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe, even though I persist in going on my own way, they will bring disaster on the water land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them. And the Lord will blot out their names from under heaven. The Lord will single them out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster, according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of law. Your calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be burning waste of salt and, salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetarian growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adama and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to this land? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, it's because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshiped other gods and bowed down to them, gods they did not know, gods he had not given them. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And that may follow all the words of this law. That's a mouthful. I should cut that back. Anyway, so again, this is the way how it's described in the, uh, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Think of it this way. Just picture it. You're Israel. You're in the middle of foreign land, right? And then uh, I know, I know it's at the, at the wrong timing, time frames. But think of it as a Genghis Khan. You know Genghis? You know how there are these massive tribes trying to take over other tribes, right? Well, this is the time period where there's a lot of nations trying to get over other nations and you know, take over each other. Well, God is saying this, if you abandon me, I will just like, unleash hell, right? Basically, you're just unleashing hell. You are leaving me, so then I'm just gonna let you fend for yourself. And there is a lot of uprooting. There is a lot of salt and pillaging because that's how you uh, destroy irrigation land. When uh, a army comes in and destroys and takes over your uh, territory, what do they do? They salt your irrigated land so that you can never grow anything on it. So that's what it means when God says, you'll face the wrath. Sure, yes, God is letting you go, but you'll face the full wrath of a fallen world. And that fallen world in their time is full of those tribes that are trying to take over. No longer they will be protected by a life support system called Love life support system called God. And so, but God continues to say, but I continue to keep my promise. If you go back to God, if you come back to God, no matter how distant you are, no matter how far away you are, you, as long as you come back, God will continue to fulfill his promise and make you prosper again. Here's, here's what I mean. We gotta move, gotta move over to chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 1 to 4. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you, your children, re return in the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens from there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. How many of you said to yourself, God will never forgive you for this one? Right? Oh, I sinned the biggest sin ever. Can't, this cannot possibly be forgiven. 
right? Like, no short of murder, but because you guys are still here, so you, you would be in jail if I said that. But, like, you would say, well, like, uh, have you ever mentioned that, said that to God? Like, God, I don't think you could forgive this one. Well, remember this. God made the oath, not you. God made the covenant, not you. God made the promise, not you. And therefore, God can always receive you back, no matter how distant you feel that you are from God. God says, even if you feel that you are banished from the most distant land under the heaven, you can still return back to him. You can still come back because God made the oath with you. He made that promise. He made that covenant, which is interesting. This is the next part of the deal then that is different from a normal deal that we're associated with. Deals can be broken here. Deals can be broken by the mere slight mistake from the second party, right? A deal can be broken. Heck, even marriages can be broken by the slight misstep. We've seen these happen. But unlike all these type of deals, God's covenant here never gets broken. The, the party that gets hurt will forgive and will receive again. If you ever read Hosea, that's the whole uh, part of it. No matter how many times we leave God, no matter how many times we go distant from God, God just basically says, I'm waiting here, and when you come back, I will receive you again. Oh, the stuff that you did? What were they? That's what he would do. He never keeps a record. Oh, the stuff you, what are you talking about? What sin that I cannot forgive? He'll forget. It doesn't matter anymore. When we come back to God, he promises to forgive us, he promises to receive us, and he promises to wipe us clean, to wash us clean with no blemish. And that's the blessing that he has given us. That's the covenant that he's given us. In a deal, dang it, there's still that history. It's still kept in those records over that stupid boxes, you know, they keep over there in Richmond. It's like, it's always in the cloud somewhere. You know, you can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of that stupid post that you posted in the, on the digital media now these days, you know? It's like, when you post it on Facebook, it's permanent, right? There's not right to be forgotten, right? God, when you come back to God, God would say, and you say, God, I'm so sorry, what do, like, you know that thing that I did? And he would say, what? What did you do? I don't recall, right? But come back, let's party again. Let me allow you to be full again and prosper and live a full life and allow me to enable you to prosper in whatever you do. That's his promise. All right, for those keeners out there, let's define prosperity because uh, for some of you who may be keen and alert this morning, you would go, hmm, this sounds eerily kind of like health, wealth gospel here, you know, like prosperity gospel. Well, fine. <laughs> right? Like, it does sound like it. However, here's a little bit of review, and you might want to do this in your cell groups if you're doing Deuteronomy, is that what is prosperity gospel, this health wealth gospel that so many Christians are against, and rightfully against? What is it? Well, it's basically saying that, God, you owe me, because I'm alive. <laughs> right? You owe me this, you owe me a Ferrari, you owe me this, because, hey, I'm alive. You created me to prosper. Uh, no, right? Or name it and claim it. That's another term for the health, wealth, gospel. If I name it, if I name what I want, and I have a positive attitude, and I believe it very much so, then I will get it. You know the law of attraction? That one? No, that's not what I'm propagating, and this is not what God is propagating. This is far from the health, wealth, gospel. Because there's two things that the health, wealth, gospel does not have that we, we just covered here requires. First one is obedience. 
The first thing that differentiates the Hathor Gospel between that and what I'm trying to tell you here and what God is trying to tell us through Moses in Deuteronomy is that God is telling us to remain in Him, to be obedient to Him, to love Him, to trust Him with our everything. Remember the terms? To love with our everything. Right? If, uh, this is what Jesus said to the rich young ruler when he said, to love me with everything. It is to sell off everything, including his Ferrari. It's not to get a Ferrari. It's actually to give up the Ferrari, actually. Right? Are we able to do that? Health wealth is very me-centered. Whereas uh, the prosperity here that God is trying to say is actually is very God-centered. Remain in God and he will allow you to prosper in his time, in his covenant, within his will. Second thing that's different is that if you realize, if you just take a browse through chapter 30, which is, talks about a lot about prosper, what is the one thing that gets repeated often? God will. God wills it. It's not according to our will. God wills it. God will do this. God will do that. Well, God wills it. It's his own will. So there are times when we don't feel prosperous. There are times when we don't say, oh, God, I've been obeying and everything. How come we don't get it? Well, guess what? It may not be your time right now. It may not be your time. How come I'm not having a spouse? How come I'm not getting a good job? How come I like? Uh, how come my spouse still doesn't change? How come? How come? How come? Well, maybe it's because it's not God's timing, and it's not the right timing for you to do it. He wants us to continue on, and He has a better thing for us to do, better thing for us uh, in the future to prosper. So, two diff main differences between what God defines as prosperous here and what the world and health wealth gospel trying to define as prosper is that God actually has something bigger for us than just a Ferrari, than just a jet, than just a multiple uh, bank accounts. He has something way bigger and he defines it and he will define it. And, but it's way bigger than what we can imagine. And also it's all according to God's will. He wills it, not us. You follow? That's what's the difference between that. So what is really about prosper then? What is prosper? Well, yes, it could be material. It could be something very tangible. It could be at work. It could be your business. It could be uh, even your currently your, your, your health. Yes, all this could be uh, prosper. Yeah, like I'm sure that I could talk about a lot of stuff, list down a few things to you of how God has made me prosperous. Enable me, open doors for me to meet with people. How many of you can actually say that, oh, like you could meet with TD Bank and get money from them? <laughs> <laughs> right? right, Or how many of you could say that like, you could actually have a phone conversation with Rick Warren because he, you have a little problem with your book that you want to name that's kind of similar to the book that made him? You know? Like how many of you can say that you could have a handshake with Tom Cruise one, that, that, that one time? Right? Or you had a handshake with who? Who was it? Another movie star? I can't remember. Anyway, you told me it too. So prosper, right? Everyone has a different definition of prosper, yet we could list down all the things that we're thankful for that made us prosperous. And it was all in God's timing, right? But there are more, yes, there are more stuff that we want, but that's all in God's timing. So don't knock it off, like don't, don't write it off that, oh, God only does the spiritual stuff. No, I'm here to say that God, can, uh, God will make you prosperous even the most tangible stuff. It's just that it's all in God's will. And that the tangible stuff could be even bigger than what you could think of. Could be bigger than what you can imagine. That's all. And, but it's all in God's will and God's time. He really wants us to have a full life, folks. He really wants us to, he really, really wants to just witness our prosperity. Witness 
how we can live our fullest life that he has ordained for us. That's why he created us. Not just for pawns to do his dirty work, right? He wants to enjoy his creation. Amen? Amen. And that is it for chapter 29 to 30. And hopefully that provides you with all encouragement to remain God and to choose life.